This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Joe Sheppy, CEO and co-founder at Solstem. Joe, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thanks, Art. It's great to have you on, Joe. Okay. Um, as always, uh, I start the every episode with setting the stage. So here we go. Uh, app user acquisition. Gosh, this topic has been covered so heavily precisely because only via acquiring new users for your app, it becomes possible to build a sustainable app business. Fine. So we're talking about acquiring new users, new people to use the app, right? But what happens when app marketers deep dive, (laughs) dive deep into the marketing strategy and the investors' expectations? A ton of possible issues that may show up on the way to success. Right, they begin to think about people who will be using the app as numbers. To be honest, uh, it's hard to blame them for doing that. It's kind of how our brain works. When it comes to planning, it should be a rational, cold mind to analyze the data. It is not prone to think about users who will be using the app as people. They become numbers. But this is not to say that we shouldn't resist this swap of notions. And Joe will tell us what exactly you should do. But first, Joe, as always on the show, let's begin with talking about you and your background. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Solston. Uh, Solston is at the the literal edge of understanding what it means to be human. So we've been around for about five and a half years. We work mostly in the gaming industry. Um, you can think of Solston as a consumer insight engine. Um, and what we use is a combination of, of psychometric assessments. So questionnaires, things like if somebody's taken the Myers-Briggs before, um, but clinically valid versions of that. So they're adaptive. They learn about you as you take them. Um, we send those out in apps. And then we combine that with the telemetry of play behavior in games. So um, my background, I I used to be an adventure-based psychologist. I had a long career in UX, uh, big agencies. And um, one of the things that really wanted to learn and get better at was, hey, we're deploying all these marketing solutions or we're building all these experiences. How do I understand my customer? And for the most part, behavioral data is what we work off of today. Uh, is not really too indicative of of who we are. You can have two data points behave the exact same way. And one of them left the store because uh, they have social anxiety and the store is crowded. Uh, The other one left the store because they're forgetful and they just forgot their wallet. But the behavioral data, when we analyze it, it looked the exact same from the the outside. And so Solston, what we do is um, in adventure therapy, we have this saying that's show me how you play and I'll tell you who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. play tends to be really an authentic kind of expression of self. So we take all this play data in games and we're kind of like a, a real time Harry Potter sorting hat where we're able to actually understand in apps, in games, uh, especially when there's lots of play behavior, the different psychological traits, oh, this person rebuilt their base really fast. 
um, maybe that's predictive of how resilient they are. And we know that people who are really resilient like to try things multiple times. They don't like things to be just super easy. So it helps us understand how to develop experiences in a cognitive behavioral way rather than just a behavioral way. And we work with most of the top game developers anyway, like your EAs, your your Epics, your Supercells, uh, you know, Clash of Clans, these types of like bigger game type of, of companies that really care about app monetization, user acquisition, all these sorts of things, um, and really help to build the experience around the the human. So that's that's what Solston does. It's a little bit about my background too. Great. Um it's uh it's really great to hear that somebody's talking about psychology in that business. Because uh, I've been having this question for years and years, pretty much since the day when, um, I don't know, circa 2014, 2013, I started using Facebook ads and I saw this uh, cloud of interests for app users, uh, for people who are using Facebook for targeting uh, advertising campaigns. And even back then, my question was, okay, these are real interests or people express their interests in one moment and it doesn't absolutely doesn't mean that this is the interest that will be guided, um, that they will be um, using um, later on. And it's not an indication that you can target these people based on the cloud of this interest. This is not who they are. It's like, oh, exactly. it always goes deeper. Um, it gives you a kind of a feeling that you know these people. And that was kind of a first uh, iteration of using um interests um, as the guidance for advertising later on and to this day um, um honestly you're one of the few people i've heard from who are who, who's talking about psychology in their business uh, by the way why solston so solston um what they are is it's icelandic spar so there are these little kind of glass-like stones that appear on the coast in, in Iceland. And Nordic people used to use them to navigate oh. um, mm -hmm. with their ships during the day. And what back then people thought they were magical objects. So they're like, oh, they're these kind of like fake things that, that, that Vikings think that they can use to navigate. Well, turns out later on, you know, we actually realized these things are, are in a way highly scientific. And they're part of what allowed Nordic people to sail to North America and to navigate to North America. So Solston, a lot of what we do, um, and, and if you just kind of break down the word, and I'm pronouncing it with an American accent here, I'm not pronouncing it in a Swedish or a, a Icelandic accent, but if you say soul, it has that word human, that soul, and then mm -hmm. sten, stone, it's this very solid, trustworthy thing like data. So we like the name of, we liked how the word sounded, but then also a lot of times people think when they first start using Solston that it feels a little bit magical. Like I think any really good science should. Um, but then at the the end of it, it's rooted in a lot of really good science and a lot of really good technology. And so it's it's that guidance for if I have an audience, um, I'm going to go to Solston to be able to navigate into territories I never navigated before. So that's that's where the name came from. And we founded the company in Stockholm. So it was a, that was kind of a an old, a little hat tip to where the company came from. Yeah, gosh, th this is great. Uh, who said that? Either Arthur C. Clarke or, or Asimov, that every enough sophisticated uh, sci uh, science and tech is indistinguishable from magic? That, so no, you're the... kind of a build, building the bridge between quote unquote magic and real hard data science. Exactly. Okay. Let's begin with the mindset that marketers need to have to 
apply psychology to user app acquisition for apps? Yeah. So I think one of the things we noticed that changed in the app industry after IDFA deprecation and all of that is we saw a lot of big shift in our in our customer base in terms of we saw pure UA folks getting replaced as, as marketers with like agency people, people that came more from creative backgrounds. And if we look at kind of the history of, of psychographics, um, you know, it was really in the 1960s when we started to actually know that we could measure psychological traits. Um, it's not that we didn't believe that they were there before. But what's interesting, if you kind of go back to the Mad Men days of advertising, back when like you're in the 50s, 60s, we didn't measure that stuff very well. But actually, people had a huge thirst for using psychology to do marketing. If you look at old Philip Morris ads, if you look at old Coca-Cola ads, there was a lot of effort in that direction. The problem was, is how we measured traits back then was very rudimentary, very simple, and not very scientific. Yeah. So if we go back to those days, and we think of, you know, how do we how do we use psychology? One of the things, if you look at, I think this is from Nielsen. If you look at the ROI of your of your ads, um, about fifty percent of your ROI is actually coming from creative optimization. Um, post IDFA targeting and tracking accounts for somewhere between ten to seventeen percent. Your brand is a part of that. There's all these factors that go in, but by far. The biggest aspect is on the creative optimization, the creative development. So the easiest way to get started with, with psychology is, of course, you need to understand the psychology of the audience. And I think there's two mistakes that people make. They think that behavior is psychology and demographics are psychology. So, hey, I'm building an ad for 28-year-old uh, males who go on Instagram and they they like the UFC or something like that. You know, that's not their psychology as art. You said it perfectly, you know, people's people's behaviors or people's interests, they can change over time. When I'm in Stockholm, I eat different things than when I'm in certain parts of the United States, for example. So all those things change. If we think of how Instagram, I just saw an ad the other day of something I purchased three months ago. Um, I also saw an ad for something that I was talking about that I was purchasing for my mom for her birthday. And now I'm getting a bunch of ads for um, certain things that are really not interesting to me going forward. The purchase was already already made and it had nothing to do with the ads that were there. So they're trying to pick up on interest cues. So if we turn to psychology, it's like what Solston will do, we'll measure about 350 traits on a person. So everything from your personality to cultural components to values. So things that are cognitively a part of who you are that aren't really going to go away for a long period of time. So let's take altruism as an example. Um, let's okay. Altruism is this kind of trait that some of us have more of, some of us have less of, of this, mm -hmm. yeah, wanting to help other people. Um, what we'll do is we'll, we actually have one agency that he goes in and with creatives, he goes, does the client have Solston? That's his first question. He came to me in a conference uh, about a couple months ago and he said, I literally you guys, use you guys for everything. And I always get, I'm able to drop CPIs. I'm able to increase return on ad spend. I'm able to get more of our key user persona. And I'm like, what do you, well, talk me through your process. He's like, I go in, I look at the audience. I look at the highest LTV group there. And then I look at their highest scoring traits. So a lot of times when we design to psychology, we want to think of the, the things that really stand out about our, our audience. So in this case, you know, the, this audience, this specific group was off the charts in altruism. So then they put in the creative 
basically helping other people get into this game, help some folks. Um, here's a creative of someone helping someone out. And then what ends up happening is we usually hear from the the marketing teams, we're getting our, our return on ad spend just went way up. Our average revenue per daily active user just went way up. We're getting our ideal customer profile, but they're like, but we didn't change anything in the targeting data. And I said, well, yeah, if someone's really altruistic and they see an ad of somebody helping, they're like, that's me, this game is for me, or this app is for me. So a lot of it is, is kind of going through that discovery process first. And historically, like what we, what we encountered early on was a lot of companies, especially in gaming who have been successful, sort of had an armchair psychologist that was like, yeah, we did this ocean model thing, but they took it from online and it wasn't really that valid of an assessment. And so they're like, you know, honestly, it's better than nothing, but kind of get that first step is being able to do that well. And rather than doing a questionnaire, I say for like companies that have up and coming apps, just spending that time to, if you're not using a product like Solston, just interviewing your customers and sitting down with them and saying, what are the things, what are the things that seem to be repetitive about who they, like if you're meeting a friend and you're saying, oh, like they're really like all the people in this, in this group or this, or you go to a new country, they're all very direct. Like that's a, that's a trait. That's something that you're seeing that's sort of enduring. Okay, if they're very direct, then how do I translate that to just to get started with creative? And we have other things we can do to tie it back to certain like interests and things like that. Um, for example, if you look statistically speaking, like people that are lower on agreeableness, um, you can see high correlations with certain interests. They're not always, they don't have a lot of longevity, but like people from Oslo in Norway tend to statistically be lower on agreeableness compared to the rest of the world. So you can, you can see certain locations, interests, things like that, but it's, it's a little bit more squishy than what's nice about the psychology is our personality really doesn't change that much after we're 20 years old. It's, it's pretty much, um, you know, our nose is our nose, our eyes are our eye color. Yeah. We don't get to wake up and have a different eye color. And that's kind of how our personality works too. Yeah, once the prefrontal cortex is done by 25, roughly, you're pretty much who you will be later on in your life. Yeah. Um, this is fascinating. So if we're using as a guidelines, traits, values of people, and not just a bunch of interests they showed uh, um, in a specific campaign a few weeks ago, and we believe somehow that this kind of information will be helpful for us to... Uh, deliver messaging about your apps uh, to these people, you know, throughout the duration of your ad campaign. This is just um, absolutely setting yourself for a failure. Um, traits and values, this is what you know, makes people who they are on the long run. This is how you can sustain your business and like all is connected. Like if you want to build a sustainable business, you want to retain the people who are using your app. You want to find these people in the first place. So if you're not using the right tools to kind of uh, keep up the conversation, uh, metaphorically speaking, with them, you're just no, not a chance you can uh, win in the long run. Okay, let's kind of walk through a hypothetical ad campaign. Um, so kind of a first step, the initial one, we're building a user App user profile, trying to decide who will be the guy or girl who will be using my app. Uh, so how psychology can help with this respect? 
Yeah. So how, and I, there's, I think this is, you know, how psychology works and then how Solston works, which is making the yeah. psychology work, which is, I think that's been a part of the challenge for a long time is it's, it's not always easy to make the psychology work. So how Solston works is companies will come to us and they'll say, you know, we're, we're thinking about making a product that's um, this, this IP it's related to this IP or it's, um, kind of this group of people who, um, they're into collecting photos of their family, or there's these game mechanics that, uh, like fall guys, for example, when it went to free to play, they said, can we see an audience of all these people that do all these behaviors, but they've never played fall guys before. And then what we'll do is from our database. So when we do our psychological assessment, 75% of it is a psychological assessment. 25% of it is just collecting is collecting that interest data or like what you do type data, like, oh, you really like Nike. Okay. Um, so if Nike comes to us and says, you know, we really want to build a first person shooter game for mm -hmm. people that like Nike, what we do is we pull that audience of people that have basically said that they have those preferences. And then what we're doing is saying the algorithm's going, there's a certain amount of psychological groups now in that audience. And then what Solston actually knows about those different groups is their average spend in those categories and how big the population size is globally. So now what we've identified is within the bubble of Nike and first-person shooters, we've identified here's this, the like-minded group of people that were, they're going to be in the same group now and in 10 years from now because these, these enduring parts of them are not going to change. Nike might change, shooting games might change, but in the world today, they've expressed interest here, but psychologically they're very cohesive. And you know what? This is the biggest part of that market with the biggest spend in that space. So that's what now what we have is a true ideal customer profile. We have a really, really good ICP to work off of. And so taking that step, the next thing we do is start to now go, okay, how are we building out campaigns to, you know, what platforms are they on? How are we targeting them? What are the types of creative we do? And what Solston does is we have this thing called resonance testing. So mm -hmm. we bring in, um, we're able to test uh, different creatives, different ideas that are usually built off of creatives that are from the psychology stuff we have. Like we had with um, one game company actually is kind of funny where um, their, their creative wasn't performing well. And they saw that their audience was really high on empathy and Solston knows, like, if you go on our platform, we know that people high on empathy like to see lots of facial expressions. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big, a big deal for them in marketing creatives. And there was not only no expressions, this game, um, uh, people only got murdered. It was a murder mystery game. And in the beginning of the game, people only got killed. And we're like, hey, well, we're getting all of a sudden really good um, traction with these new creatives that have facial expressions on them, but you get into the game in the first experience and um, people are only getting killed and they're, they're leaving. And so that's, all, that's a whole other topic, but marketing yeah. and early product experience, we always see need to be lockstep. So there's that part of it um, from uh, the old way of doing it, part of why we exist. So I used to work at McCann Erickson, you know, this big global agency, and we'd have app developers, you know, come to us and say, Hey, we're, we're building this new product. We want to, you know, figure out who our ICP is. And if we want to start using psychology, well, what we're talking about then is a three to six month research project to go out, do interviews, do calls, do. And by that time, it's like, we just got to get going. We just want to build this thing. 
So I think one of the, you know, the, the hard parts is if you, you know, if you want to use this and you're not using a product like Solston, like how do you apply psychology to doing this sort of stuff? The, the best we can do is, is be human. And when we go have those conversations with, a, and if, let's say if it's a new app, you're going to have mm -hmm. as many conversations with people in the space you're in. And then what I always recommend people to do is afterwards get a notebook out and then write down what were the, the think of it as like like-mindedness because you don't have to be a psychologist to to go and say, here's how this person was like-minded to, to this person. And how do they think, what are the areas where they think alike or where they're like-minded? And what you're uncovering yeah. with that, you're uncovering traits when you uncover that layer. If you go, hey, they're really interested in sustainability. Okay, does that, is that do they think in that way though? Um, so where are the ways, what are the ways they're thinking? So some questions, you know, you can ask is like, uh, hey, if you look at your life, um, you know, you look at the best moments in your life, what were some values, like the top three moments, what were some values that were present for you? Was it family? Was it creativity? Was it friendship? Was it, and what's interesting, if we look at our life and like peak moments, typically a lot of the same values will be expressed. And if we look at, I just got asked this question, um, from a, an app developer, he's like, you know, how do we, how do we improve our monetization system? And I said, well, people spend money on what they value. So if you tie that part of the currency to family and your ICP really yeah. values family, all of a sudden that currency is going to become more valuable. They're going to be more willing to spend it. So, you know, there's, there's easy, like um, nice, simple ways where you can get at like values change from time to time on like personality, like which tends to be more static personality can change too, but it's not really that changeable, mm -hmm. but like values you're young and you valued friendship. Uh, all of a sudden you have kids and you value family more like values can change with major life events, but nonetheless, values are typically the easiest aspects of our personality to extract through interviews in terms of how people are like-minded and then applying those directly to creatives is powerful. Um, we had, for example, a, an eight year old, there's a, a game that made hundreds of millions of dollars a year in its heyday. And it was only making like, I think 50 to $20 million. So it's sort of sunsetting. It's eight years old, and which is still for a lot of people, a 20 to $50 million a year. Yeah, if you think about it, right. Product is still a great product. Um, but so this was a game that was sunsetting and they had done all the behavioral optimization possible, all the A-B testing, and nothing could perform better than their app icon, which was this red baby dragon. They're like, nothing beats the red baby dragon. We've we've squeezed all the A-B tests we can out of this and we can't we can't beat it. Well, their VP of marketing went into Solston and back to like, what's the easiest place to get started? He just went to values of their, of the, the group that was the biggest spending group that had the, the sort of biggest part of the market potential. And their two highest values by far were family and caring. And he goes back to the creative optimization piece. He goes, can we get, red baby dragon with family caring like a family of dragons and they're caring about the red baby dragon and then they put that in the the app store with the different screens that you kind of go in as the example screens and their conversions went up 34 percent on top of anything that they'd had in the history of that app and zach came back to us and he was like this is wild it's like it felt a little bit too simple and there's two ingredients that happened there. One, there was a really accurate measure of traits. So we knew we were accurately measuring those things for that audience. But two, we just literally created, we took 
the values of that ideal customer profile and put them in the creative. And we saw incredible results in terms of conversion as a result of it. So I think that's, you know, I'm trying to balance how people use Solston with how people who don't have Solston can also get started with, with using psychology to, to really optimize uh, marketing outcomes. Yeah, this is a great hint, uh, Joe, because we don't expect people to go and uh, become psychologists, spend uh, years and years in university. It's a long effort and you have to be practicing uh, psychologists later on to become real professionals. So it's not but unreasonable to ask for, for this uh, for app marketers, but these basics, things that are actually they can do, um, this common sense, uh, you can... Uh, deliver to them as a set of things you can do psychology-wise to improve improve your marketing um, the way you didn't think was possible before. Like with this example with the logo, um, it's just something that do not cross the mind of app marketers because uh, things like values and they're just not on the radar folks who are being trained to thinking about the... Um, marketing aspects like i don't know uh the conversion rate how much money you're spending how much money you're getting back um how you um approach people on other on different platforms among all these things psychology unfortunately is not there i wish it was part of the um training for marketers and at this point i would like to reiterate we're jedis in this studio we're talking about the using psychology for good not using people, but helping them. Because unfortunately, there's always a flip side. We're advocating for helping people and not using them again. Yeah, I think that's an important important component. Um, you know, someone asked me like, well, you know, what do you guys do at Solsten? And it's like, well, if I would have, if I wanted to help people, um, I, and, and if I look at where we're at today, it's if for me, being a psychologist and being a therapist for others, it's just, it wasn't scalable. It's like, I only say like five to six patients a day. Solston actually grew out of how do you grow this ability to create experiences that are healthier for people that are better for people. And if you think of, so the advertising play, a lot of what Solston does is we adapt experiences to people too. So we know like if someone's anxiety is going up or those sort of things. So once they're in the product, what we know is that the healthier a product is for a person, the more money they spend over time too. So what's good for people is good for business. Um, products become more sustainable when they're healthy. If they're really addicting, for example, we measure addiction data. People tend to churn from addictions. Like the addiction just doesn't go well. Casinos have even known this for a long time. Like if you ask someone who runs a casino, like do you want addicted customers? They'll tell you no. Like that was the 70s. But if we look at marketing, and I think where psychology is so important in marketing is this idea of, of resonance over relevance. And what we've had what's, what we've had happen to us over the last 10, 15 years, if we've been bombarded by relevance, oh, you just clicked on this, ads, 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 you've just done this. It's only relevant data. And what that does is it contributes to cognitive load. It contributes to, um, if we look at kind of like algorithms like Facebook, Instagram, oftentimes we'll get oh, shown yeah. an, a negative event and then showed a relevant piece of information. So let's cause a, let's have a negative scenario and then they'll want to have a rebound by having a positive. That's that's kind of the dark side as, as we see it. And what's cool about like, if you look at Yoda and Vader, you know, the light side of the force is more powerful. 
but it takes longer and it's a little bit trickier to harness and to use. And what's so cool about when you have resonance, so one of the areas where Solston, you know, helps our customers and helps on the marketing side, you can show far less ads to people. If you show, I think it's um, Ogilvy from Ogilvy and Mathers said, you know, one day in the distant future, um, marketing will be like a gentle tap on the shoulder from a very good friend. And yeah. it's about the, the right thing at the right time for the right person. And if you don't have psychology, you're going to have to guess. You're going to have to continue to have a shotgun approach, which you'll, you'll shoot fish in a barrel if you use that shotgun approach. But ultimately, the psychology, what it does is it allows us to be more intentful. And then what consumers get on the flip side, because we get to see gamer psychology all the time, because, I mean, App Store is like 70% games. So we end up working with lots of games. Um, but if you look at consumers today, consumers don't, there's like, I think, over 800,000 games in the iOS store alone. And if we think of like the psychology of how people are looking at experiences today, um, people more and more want to invest in experiences. They want to invest in things that they can use over a long period of time. They're kind of done with the, oh, I use this. I got rid of it. I want to invest in a community. I want to invest in something I can be in. And so when we allow them to actually see what resonates with them, what ends up happening is we acquire users that also are more likely to have longevity within our product. And on, on as a customer, as me personally, if um if Facebook or Instagram had Solston, it'd be amazing because I would get way less oh, ads. You're reading the ads I would get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they would only be ones that I'm like, that's actually really useful. And Ogilvy would be sitting there going, that's my quote, you know, that's that's that time. So you know, for us, advertising is can really be a force for good too. Um, you know, I've I've bought in products that I'm like, wow, I'm I didn't know that existed. Like I'm really glad that I know that existed now. But at the same time, it also can be like, why am I being bombarded by all these things? And maybe to give a, a quick example of that, we had one customer, it was, um, since we're using Star Wars metaphor, so it, it was a, a game that's in the, um, let's just say that space. It's a really big one. And they had this ad that they were using and they're like, we have are getting incredible, incredibly low CPIs on this and we're getting an incredibly high install rate on it. But the return on ad spend for the people coming from this ad is almost zero. So what's going on? And we we dug in and we were able to actually psychologically assess the people that were installing off of this ad. And the people that were installing off of this ad, even though it was low CPIs, high installs, had very, very low levels of resonance with the actual product. And I think of like that story as how many times are we installing things, you know, getting things based on a false pretense. And then we get into the product and the the best we can do for building that product is be true. And I said, well, let's, let's go back to optimizing the creative around the core audience. And, you know, then our return on ad spends getting better. Yes. We didn't, we didn't get those like super low CPIs, but that wasn't the ideal customer profile. And we're wasting their time too, because they're all installing a product that they get into and they're like, this is not what I thought I was getting. Uh, that's not what I wanted. And so, you know, we optimize that things change, but I think that's where, yeah, on the force for good side of things, um, per Ogilvy and Mathers quote, I, I really think marketing can get there and we need psychology to, to do it. Yeah. And digital advertising, especially with the introduction of, um, 
Instagram, what later become the Instagram we, we know now, not the app for just taking great, sh great shots and sharing with each other, but the huge platform it has been bombarding us with so many advertising uh, along with Facebook itself. Um, it's, uh, it's a topic for the entire <laughs> separate conversation. If you ever saw Social Dilemma movie, you know what we're talking about. The, the movie goes into the you know deep questions of what's happening with advertising and how it influences our lives. Um, it's kind of reminds me the the quote of uh, um, Edward Wilson that we've built kind of a Star Wars kind of civilization with the paleolithic paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Unfortunately, it remains to be true. Uh, like. He said it a few decades ago, uh, but it's still true. And um, this is the civilization we have. And the companies like you guys uh, are actually great help to navigate this space. Eight billion people, huge economy. We have to deal with problems. We were not trained by evolution. That's the hard call. That's the hard challenge. Yep. Let's give people a few takeaways. Sure. Um, I think, you know, takeaway number one is you, no matter how good algorithms get, no matter how good, like, I know Apple, I know Google, I know, you know, Facebook, they're all working on, you know, privacy forward world of back to targeting though. Like, let's create these like user cohort groups, things like that. So what I would say is, you know, even in the heydays of, you know, pre-IDFA deprecation, like, there's just so much value of understanding your customer and going beyond, oh, they're 42 year old women or 27 year old men, um, really getting to know them like you would get to know a good friend. And I think that number one takeaway, when we see companies really just knock it out of the park, there's my American uh, you know, sports metaphors. Um, but when we see companies really knock it out of the park, what, what we do see is they're curious about their customer. It does like, you can go, ah, I'm going to use psychology. So don't go online and just search. What are the values of my customer? Get curious about them, meet them, kind of synthesize that information. So I, I'd say customer curiosity, defining your ICP, step two, based on the, the interviews, that sort of stuff. Step three, creative optimization. It's, it's way undervalued. The amount of time that people spend with, hey, I'm just going to run 50 permutations of this creative and see which one performs the best. Well, in eight years that got to red baby dragon, that was 34% less good at getting installs than actually creating the, like what, how much money would that game have made if um, it did that eight years earlier? Yeah, years ago. So mm -hmm. think of the opportunity cost. So really look at your creative and then I would say test your creative. So there's a lot of cool, Companies out there like shout out to Geek Lab, for example, where you can test your creative, you can do marketability testing. Um, there's good companies out there like that who you can take your creatives, test them against your, your audience, and then test them against your ideal customer profile too. I think that's really important. Um, so, you know, if I kind of go curious, synthesize that data, create an ICP, get to know them psychologically. What are the enduring parts of who they are? Not just as Art said, like the interest, the interests are not who you are. Um, you know, you like football. That's not who you are. But even if you, you know, have that basement that's full of f football, 
you know, stuff. It's still not who you are. It's an interest for you. So, you know, focus on who they are and then apply that to your creatives. And then, you know, last step is copywriting. So after the creatives, then when you start to think, and what we see is the creative optimization does outperform copywriting optimization. Cause I mean, 30% of our brain is our occipital lobe. So literally our brains are just focused on vision and our occipital lobe is dedicated to visual processing. So if we look at that, the next step though, in terms of copywriting now, um, that was, so that's going to be my last takeaway, optimizing your copy based on those traits. Um, and we do see some incredible outcomes from that, but it's kind of like building a home. Like don't do the copywriting part first, do the creative optimization first, and then do the copywriting part based on the traits. Um, and this is going to be my last, last takeaway, getting with your product team and connecting the end of the marketing funnel. And I actually view your first time user experience. That is a part of your marketing funnel. So your first seven days of your app, those that should be a continuous part of it and it should feel congruent. So if you're thinking of building a journey, when that person comes from that ad and then they go into that product that you have, like that first moment, that's the example with the, um, the high empathy people, like mm -hmm. marketing figured it out. They did a great job. And then there's a drop-off because the product didn't want to show facial expressions, only wanted to show people getting murdered in the game. And yeah. all of a sudden now, all that hard work you did on marketing in the very first day is getting knocked over. So marketing and product being lockstep together and really making sure that that day zero, day one use of your product, that you're creating a cohesive story and journey. So the copywriting shouldn't stop the experience optimization shouldn't stop the creative parts of it. If there are, shouldn't stop there either. Gotcha, Joe. All right. I, I hope you will be able to answer on the next question was one thing, cause I'm, I have a feeling you have more than one looking back at your years in tech, what would you like to change about it the most? About my, my personal career about, about tech in general, the tech in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the reasons why I started Solstead and, and went down this path was I, I was at McCann, I was developing products for really big fortune 500 companies. And at the time that's kind of like Facebook was just starting to grow. And, um, you know, I thought about something like the like button, for example, like the person that designed that was probably not like, Ooh, this is going to screw over a lot of people. Like they're like, hey, it's increasing engagement. This is great. And one of the things I realized when I was building these big products is on the other end, I'm like, I don't know how these are going to impact people. So if I, the one thing I would change is if I had a, a time machine, I would have given myself who is building these big products that touch 200 million, you know, sometimes a billion consumers. I would have given them, I would have given that younger version of Joe Solston. Because then I would have been able to see, okay, here's who my customer is. And then when we deployed things, I would actually get to see how that technology is impacting them. Um, there's a, a quote, I forget who said it again, uh, but it's something like, you know, whoever designed American cities must have really hated people um, because they're all built on grids. They're all built around efficiency. And, you know, this whole idea that efficiency is boring. Efficiency is not necessarily human. Um, mm -hmm. The most efficient version of the Lord of the Rings is there's two hobbits that need to destroy a ring. Otherwise the world's going to end. And so they go to a volcano and they throw the rings in and then they yeah, save the world. Mm -hmm. 
very efficient version of that story, not a very human version of that story. You go to a small town in in Croatia or a small town in Italy and people are like, it just feels good here. Yes, because it was built organically around humans and human touch points and human experiences. Um, if you look at like kind of Google Ikea experience maps, you'll see like they would trace, you know, Ikea people walking through and, and they're, you know, you kind of can see that with like just trails and, and you know, auto, auto trails in Europe started as goat trails. And then they're like, hey, we'll turn this into a, a natural, you know, kind of road and then a path. And then you you see these organic things happen. And so for us, you know, if I think of the one thing that needs to change and the one thing that Solston's working really hard to do is to start with humans, start with creating, whether it's experiences, ads, start with what's the human experience that we, what's the world we want to live in? What's the world we want to create? And I believe that there's a technological world out there. That's an incredible one that is unlocking our human potential. That's unlocking our human experience. And I believe there's one that's like Huxley said, a human brain in a vat, you know, there's, there's that world too. And I think that we need to consciously see that also that it's the dirty secret. Solsta knows that's not dirty. The healthier experiences are for people, the more money they make too. Like I'm a skier. I'll ski my whole life. I'll probably give more money to that industry than any other industry. I get social health. I get physical health. I get mental health. I get so much from skiing. So I'll keep spending and I'll keep doing it. And so, you know, I think if you think of your product and, and the longevity of the, the product, that's important. But if I go back, you know, it's like, um, you know, let's take, take social media. Um, I wish there would have been, you know, someone at Facebook early on who had Solston. The day first. Was working, yeah, was working with Zuckerberg and said, hey, Zuck, um, we just came up with this hypothesis called a like button. We also designed it in this way. When we tested things with Solston, we saw that we got the same amount of engagement but actually um, people's mental health was much better with this version than the like button version. My gosh, like imagine, you know, so if I went. What a difference I, it would make for the world. And and I, we did this with, we did this with cities in America. Let's not repeat it with technology. And I, I think we're still early enough where we can, we can go back and we can, a lot of big products. I mean, we work with games that have hundreds of millions of daily active users. And we've literally seen changes happen in the game where we'll see like, hey, people's um, sleep is being positively impacted. Cool. Like we didn't realize that that one part of the game was impacting sleep. Like how would you know? We've had developers go like, oh, I'd rather just not know and turn the other way. And it's like, well, first off, you're risking the future of your business because all these things, it doesn't matter who you are. Look at Philip Morris. You turned your head the other way. Oh, it's yeah. eventually going to come bite you in the in the ass. So you need to be aware of like how these things impact people and the products that um, there's a Supercell is one of our customers, as an example, they came out with Clash of Clans 10 years ago. Um, I'm, I'm half Finnish. Uh, so Visa, who is a co-founder there, he was, he said to me, he goes, you know, one of the things we thought about was what's a game people could play with their brother without really having to talk to them. It's a very Finnish thing to, to say, but they yeah. built they built it around a real human experience of, you know, being with people you're close to and being able to still experience things with them when you don't just need to have, you know, conversation all the time. And so they built something around people. They built something around a real human problem. 
that game has made a billion dollars a year for over 10 years now. It just celebrated, I think it's 10th anniversary. At the same time, about 10 years ago, uh, a game called Game of War came out. And that game was also making about a billion dollars a year. Game of War is nowhere to be found anymore. Um, it was really built around addiction cycles, super addictive. I had a friend that actually was a game designer there. And one of the things he told me when that Super Bowl ad of, I think it was Kate Moss happened, mm -hmm. he said, we had literally churned and bought our way through all of Facebook's user base. And the reason we did a Super Bowl ad is we had no new people to acquire on Facebook. We had spent all the money we could have on, on that. And I think that's a kind of a cautionary tale of when we build technology around short-term thinking and short-term revenue cycles, like what you want to build, as you said, Art, early on is a sustainable business. You want to build something that, you know, in, in five years from now, 10 years from now, heck, Nintendo, you know, is built, uh, Nintendo was founded in the late 1800s as a game company. Like that's an amazing business that can do that, that can live that long. Half the companies on the Fortune 500 list from 50 years ago are gone now, you know? So how do we build sustainable companies that that last and and really grow and also are regenerative for people? So the person gets more from the experience than they than they put into it. And um, and also privacy forward. I think the the IDFA deprecation work that happened happened a little too late. So there's way more of your personally identifiable data that's out there that than should be. Um, so yeah. Solston, I didn't actually bring this up. We're a we're a privacy forward solution. We believe privacy is power. We always separate real identity from all the psychological data we collect. So we never even process or touch uh, anything related to identity. So I think it's important that people on the internet are, we give you a, an ID that is basically your psych profile and you can delete it at any time. So you delete it, you're out of the system. You want to be back in the system, you can put it back in. One of the things we're working on is an app where you could say, I want this game to personalize to me, but not this game. So how do we put people in control of who personalizes? And because not every company is the same and companies change. Google in the early days might be a little bit different than Google now. And you might not Absolutely. want Google to personalize to you anymore where you did want it early on. And then just like organic food happened in America, consumers can push back. And then all of a sudden Google goes, oh, we're going to, we're going to actually step back on some things or we're going to lean into something. So I actually think it'd be really beneficial for companies in terms of that. But that's where I think the, the two things are there is I wish that some of the early tech that was developed was done in a way where it actually was done in the spirit of, of understanding humanity. And two, I think that this whole idea of, um, share, 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 um, you don't need to privacy is power and um, having your, I do think, you know, for me, my psych profile is a part of our system. I think allowing the future of the internet to know what it means to be human is important. Um, there's an AI ethicist that said something of like, um, you know, human beings don't treat AI very well. They don't talk to chat GPT very nicely. And he said, if it ever becomes sentient, it might not have good memories of us. And so I do yeah. think, it, it is important. I mean, this is all hypotheticals and future thinking, but I do think it's really important that if we, in order to build a human-centered experience, there's a give and take. And so we need to let the the creatives of the world, the builders of the world know who they're creating stuff for and how it impacts you and how it impacts us. And we need to do it in the most privacy forward way 
possible. So I think that's, those are my two things if I could rewind, but um, I'm hoping we're making up for some lost time. Cause there's about 3 billion people that play games every day. So um, getting, and I, maybe that's my last one. I have a, I have a big list here, so I, I need to send it to Santa or something, but right. I think my last, my last one there is interactive technologies versus passive technologies. So that was one of the biggest things I saw as a, as a clinician was if you look, start to read all the research on passive technology, so watching the TV, social media, um, there's not a lot of good outcomes when it comes to things like mental health, um, when passive technology is used over time. In small amounts, it's fine, just like alcohol. In small amounts, it's okay. You know, and there's some people that would say it's never okay. But, you know, most vices in small amounts are okay. But when you look at interactive technology like games, um, you know, there's research showing that a lot of people don't like to hear this, but like uh, kids who are above, I think, 13, when they played games for at least 13, for at least three hours a day, they out, well outperformed um, their peers in school. Um, cognitive behavioral increases with, with playing games. Um, the one area where you shouldn't be playing games is really from kind of the age of zero up to three years old. Like that's where you should be really limiting screen time for kids. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, like all the research is coming out that it's not great to have lots of screen time. Then if they do have screen time, it should be like Sesame street type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that's there's actually some good research on that, but what's cool about games, there's actually like quite a bit of research showing that by the time we hit 30, our fluid memory starts to decline. Our crystal memory goes up, but people that play uh, and specifically play video games, their fluid memory continues to go up. So a lot of times the reason our brain stops changing is because we stop playing and play is so important. And so if we can build a, a interactive world, a technological world that's built more around play and two-way, that's what's great about games. There's a, you do an input and there's a thing that happens back. So it's healthy for the brain. You're not just shutting down and receiving information. So the more interactive our digital world is, the more human it's going to become as well. And so that's that's my last request on my Santa list of things we can that's, do. That's a great list, Joe. Uh, we're on the same page. I can tell you this. Uh, so many things resonate with my thinking. Okay, that was the first part of the show. And... Uh, there's always uh, the second one that, that is coming up. And this is my way of uh, helping people who are listening to us not only be educated about the topic on the table we have, but know a little bit better people who are coming in the show. So here we go. Just a few quick questions. Um, what smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between these two giants? We all know Android and iOS or just one side all the time. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, a have an iOS, I'm, I'm on a, an iPhone. Okay. Um, do you remember your first mobile phone? Yeah, I do. It was a, a beautiful was Navy blue Nokia brick phone, the, the indestructible kind, the kind you could throw. I, I think I actually, I even, um, I had a friend who had my phone in his pocket and we were out, um, wakeboarding in the, in the lake. And I forgot that I gave it to him and he's like, your phone, where is it? And he was coming out from the dock in the lake mm -hmm. and we saw the buzzing in his pocket. So they weren't, they weren't advertised as being waterproof, but yeah. uh, that phone, it definitely Evidently made it, 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 it made it. So yeah, that was my first phone. 
All right, back to present. Imagine you've left your home for whatever reason um, without your smartphone. It's still sitting on your uh, table. Um, what What is the most missing feature for you? Hmm. I mean, for me, it's, it's basic. It's uh, texting. I think that's just, you know, so it's still, we're still back to what I could do before, but it's being able to text my family and friends. All right. And probably, um, not like, I'm not, I'm not asking with it. Next question. Uh, are you looking for something more for your smartphone to be able to do, but, um, new feature hardware software that will make this thing, the smartphone for you to be a better device, uh, to be capable of doing things more um, efficient, more organic for you. What would be that feature? This is an easy one. Integrate with Solston. Um, so, cause we, we, you know, we kind of see Solston as like Intel inside. It's like cognition inside. So I gave an example to someone at Google. He's like, how would Google use Solston right now if, if we implemented it? And I said, well, let's just take Google Maps. Google Maps would know that I highly value nature and that nature is very important to me. Um, yeah. It would also know certain aspects of my personality. And instead of saying, here's the three fastest routes, how to get there, it would say, here's a route that takes five more minutes uh, and it goes past some beautiful lakes and forests. Thank you. you know. And so I think if you, if you do that across the whole experience, um, you know, everything from being able to say, you know, you know, I know like Google says, Hey, you have, um, or Apple, this was your screen time today. Um, there's, there's certain times where that amount of screen time actually might be really healthy for a person. So we had a, a customer, for example, when I was at big fish games, I was the head of UX there who, um, I called him up to do a user interview. I said, how's your day going? And he goes, this is pre COVID, but he goes, just trying to breathe, man, just trying to breathe. And um, some people in the in the lab in the background kind of chuckled because um, you know he seemed like he was level setting, but actually he was in the hospital and he was literally just trying to breathe. And mm, he literally had literally, and he had been playing our our game called Dungeon Boss, and he's like, "This game literally saved my life. Like this is I'm constantly playing. This is what keeps my mind going." And now all of a sudden, um, Apple's going, "You have too much screen time today," and it's like yeah, I've been 30 days in a hospital bed, not able to move. And this is the one thing that I'm living for right now because I have a community, I have friends. So if Solston, if we had Solston inside, we'd be able to understand the human experience. And I would just, I would just love that. And then there are times where it's like, get off your phone. You know, we know yeah. that you, you need to do that. We know that you need less screen time. We know that these things are there. And so I think, um, yeah, helping, having technology that's more self-aware of, of us in a, in a safe way that, these companies don't get any of our identity. That's, I think that's important too, that physical identity and this is separate. But if you could do anything, I would I would love if my phone um, had Solston, uh, a Solston integration. Okay, this is great. Fingers crossed. Uh, one day Apple will, will be able to use the whole power of your tech. So I hope they're listening right now. <laughs> Yeah, let's okay. see. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Great. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Art. Really appreciate it. And that was Joe Sheppy, CEO at Confounder at Solston. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Teacher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. 
Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com. 